A biannual visit would be as much as could be hoped for. You needn't let what Mrs. Harmon says worry you, said Diana, with the calm assurance of the forty years matron. Married life has its ups and downs, of course. You mustn't expect that everything will always go smoothly, but I can assure you, Anne, that it's a happy life when you're married to the right man. Anne smothered a smile. Diana's airs of vast experience always amused her a little. I dare say I'll be putting them on, too, when I've been married four years, she thought. Surely my sense of humor will preserve me from it, though. Is it settled yet where you are going to live? asked Diana, cuddling small Anne Cordelia, with the imitable gesture of motherhood which always sent through Anne's heart, filled with sweet, unuttered dreams and hopes, a thrill that was half pure pleasure and half a strange, ethereal pain. Yes, that was what I wanted to tell you when I'd phoned to you to come down today. By the way, I can't realize that we really have telephones in Avonlea now. It sounds so preposterously up-to-date and modernish for this darling, leisurely old place. We can thank the AVIS for them, said Diana. We should never have got the line if they hadn't taken the matter up and carried it through. There was enough cold water thrown to discourage any society. But they stuck to it, nevertheless. You did a splendid thing for Avonlea when you founded that society, Anne. What fun we did have at our meetings. Will you ever forget the Blue Hall and Judson Parker's scheme for painting medicine advertisements on his fence? I don't know that I'm wholly grateful to the AVIS in the matter of the telephone, said Anne. Oh, I know it's most convenient, even more so than our old device of signaling to each other by flashes of candlelight. And as Mrs. Rachel says, Avonlea must keep up with the procession, that's what. But somehow I feel as if I didn't want Avonlea spoiled by what Mr. Harrison, when he wants to be witty, calls modern inconveniences. I should like to have it kept always just as it was in the dear old years. That's foolish and sentimental and impossible. So I shall immediately become wise and practical and possible. The telephone, as Mr. Harrison concedes, is a buster of a good thing, even if you do know that probably half a dozen interested people are listening along the line. That's the worst of it, sighed Diana. It's so annoying to hear the receivers going down whenever you ring anyone up. They say Mrs. Harmon Andrews insisted that their phone should be put in their kitchen just so that she could listen whenever it rang and keep an eye on the dinner at the same time. Today, when you called me, I distinctly heard that queer clock of the pies striking, so no doubt Josie or Gertie was listening. Oh, so that is why you said, You've got a new clock at Green Gables, haven't you? I couldn't imagine what you meant. I heard a vicious click as soon as you had spoken. I suppose it was the pie receiver being hung up with profane energy. Well, never mind the pies. As Mrs. Rachel says, pies they always were, and pies they always will be, world without end, amen. I want to talk of pleasanter things. It's all settled as to where my new home shall be. Oh, Anne Ware, I do hope it's near here. No, that's the drawback. Gilbert is going to settle at Four Winds Harbor. Sixty miles from here. Sixty? It might as well be six hundred, sighed Diana. I never can get farther from home now than Charlottetown. You'll have to come to Four Winds. 
It's the most beautiful harbor on the island. There's a little village called Glen St. Mary at its head, and Dr. David Blythe has been practicing there for fifty years. He is Gilbert's great-uncle, you know. He is going to retire, and Gilbert is to take over his practice. Dr. Blythe is going to keep his house, though, so we shall have to find a habitation for ourselves. I don't know yet what it is or where it will be in reality, but I have a little house of dreams all furnished in my imagination, a tiny, delightful castle in Spain. Where are you going for your wedding tour? asked Diana. Nowhere. Don't look horrified, Diana, dearest. You suggest Mrs. Harmon Andrews. She, no doubt, will remark condescendingly that people who can't afford wedding towers are real sensible not to take them, and then she'll remind me that Jane went to Europe for hers. I want to spend my honeymoon at Four Winds in my own dear house of dreams. And you've decided not to have any bridesmaid? There isn't anyone to have. You and Phil and Priscilla and Jane all stole a march on me in the matter of marriage, and Stella is teaching in Vancouver. I have no other kindred soul, and I won't have a bridesmaid who isn't. But you are going to wear a veil, aren't you? asked Diana anxiously. Yes, indeed. I shouldn't feel like a bride without one. I remember telling Matthew that evening when he brought me to Green Gables that I never expected to be a bride because I was so homely. No one would ever want to marry me, unless some foreign missionary did. I had an idea then that foreign missionaries couldn't afford to be finicky in the matter of looks if they wanted a girl to risk her life among cannibals. You should have seen the foreign missionary Priscilla married. He was as handsome and inscrutable as those daydreams we once planned to marry ourselves, Diana. He was the best-dressed man I ever met, and he raved over Priscilla's ethereal golden beauty. But, of course, there are no cannibals in Japan. Your wedding dress is a dream, anyhow, sighed Diana rapturously. You'll look like a perfect queen in it. You're so tall and slender. How do you keep so slim, Anne? I'm fatter than ever. I'll soon have no waist at all. Stoutness and slimness seem to be matters of predestination, said Anne. At all events, Mrs. Harmon Andrews can't say to you what she said to me when I came home from Summerside. Well, Anne, you're just about as skinny as ever. It sounds quite romantic to be slender, but skinny has a very different tang. Mrs. Harmon has been talking about your trousseau. She admits it's as nice as Jane's, although she says Jane married a millionaire and you are only marrying a poor young doctor without a cent to his name. Anne laughed. My dresses are nice. I love pretty things. I remember the first pretty dress I ever had, the brown Gloria Matthew gave me for our school concert. Before that, everything I had was so ugly— it seemed to me that I stepped into a new world that night. That was the night Gilbert recited Bingen on the Rhine and looked at you when he said, There's another, not a sister. And you were so furious because he put your pink tissue rose in his breast pocket. You didn't much imagine then that you would ever marry him. Oh, well, that's another instance of predestination, laughed Anne as they went down the garret.